You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 30, verses 25 to chapter 31, verse 55. I'll be reading from the CSB version. Please follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for, and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor with you, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Then Laban said, Name your wages, and I will pay them. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you, and how your herds have fared with me. For you had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me, And now, when will I also do something for my own family? Laban asked, What should I give you? And Jacob said, You don't need to give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. Let me go through all your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark-colored sheep among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages." In the future, when you come to check on my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted, or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. Good, said Laban, let it be as you have said. That day, Laban removed the streaked and spotted male goats, and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one that had any white on it, and every dark-colored one among the lambs, and he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob. Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock. Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood, and peeled the bark, exposing white stripes on the branches. He set the peeled branches in troughs in front of the sheep, in the water channels where the sheep came to drink. And the sheep bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face a streaked sheep and the completely dark sheep in Laban's flocks. Then he set his own stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks and they would breed in front of the branches. As for the weaklings of the flocks, he did not put on the branches. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves, and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken all that was our father's and has built his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude toward him 
was not the same as before. The Lord said to him, Go back to the land of your ancestors and to your family, and I will be with you. Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude towards me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that with all my strength I have served your father, and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God has not let him harm me. If he said, The spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born spotted. If he said, The street sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born street. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. When the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Look up and see. All the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked, spotted, and speckled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on that stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up. Leave this land and return to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah answered him, Do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and has certainly spent our purchase price. In fact, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. So Jacob got up and put his children and wives on the camels. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in Paddan Aram, and he drove his herds to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols, and Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives with him, pursued Jacob for seven days, and overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night. Watch yourself, God warned him. Don't do anything to Jacob, either good or bad. When Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his relatives also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You have deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you secretly flee from me, deceive me, and not tell me? I would have sent you away with joy and singing, with tambourines and lyres, but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You have acted foolishly. I could do you great harm, but last night the God of your father said to me, Watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long for your father's family. But why have you stolen my gods? Jacob answered, I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. If you find your gods with anyone here, he will not live. Before our relatives, point out anything that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, and the tents of the two concubines, but he found nothing. When he left Leah's tent, he went into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, 
put them in the saddlebag of the camel and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent but found nothing. She said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence, for I am having my period. So Laban searched, but he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became incensed and brought charges against Laban. What is my crime? He said to Laban, What is my sin that you have pursued me? You've searched all my possessions. Have you found anything of yours? Put it here before my relatives and yours, and let them decide between the two of us. I bid with you these twenty years, your ewes and female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams from your flock. I did not bring you any of the flock torn by wild beasts. I myself bore the loss. You demanded payment for me from what was stolen by day or by night. There I was. The heat consumed me by day and the frost by night, and sleep fled from my eyes. For twenty years in your household I served you, fourteen years for your daughters and six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work, and he issued his verdict last night. Then Laban answered Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children my children, and the flocks my flocks. Everything you see is mine, but what can I do today for these daughters of mine or for the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between the two of us. So Jacob picked out a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relatives, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a mound, then ate there by the mound. Laban named the mound Jega Sahadutha, but Jacob named it Galid. Then Laban said, The mount is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, the place was called Galid, and also Mizbah. For he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Look at this mound and the marker I have set up between you and me. This mound is a witness, and the marker is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this mound to you, and you will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do me harm. The God of Abraham and the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father, will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and invited his relatives to eat a meal. So they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early in the morning, kissed his grandchildren and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban left to return home. I actually think uh, most of us are too proud to admit that we're ever afraid. Most of us are too proud to ever admit or say the words, I'm afraid. Uh, As one of my friends told me, Adam, fear makes you weak. It makes you dependent. It makes you needy. One of my friends even says to me, look, I feel a lot of things. He doesn't. He says, but he says, I don't feel fear. And I'm just like laughing inside going, mate, you don't feel fear. That makes you the most afraid of all. Because what you fear is fear itself. 
I actually think it takes a real deep strength to say those words, I'm afraid. Because it forces us to humble ourselves, doesn't it? It forces us to admit our weakness. When I tell someone I'm afraid, I'm entrusting my weakness to someone else. So if we lay down our pride for just a moment, I'm not asking you to tell the person next to you, but just between you and the Lord. It's not hard to see that all of us are living in fear of something. Maybe it's a fear of falling sick or the fear of being harmed. It's a fear of failure or disappointing others. The fear of aging or losing our strength. See, we might never admit it or say it aloud, but actually the truth is all of us are living in fear of something. And so too is Jacob. I mean, think about this, right? Over the last few weeks, this is a man who has deceived his blind old father, who stole his brother's blessing and was afraid that Esau would kill him. At Bethel, he was all alone lying there in the middle of nowhere. He didn't have a rock for a pillow. No, he had a rock for a filleting knife under his pillow just in case that someone would attack him in the middle of the night. It's fear that drove Jacob to lie, to cheat and steal. It's fear that drove him to do whatever it takes to get whatever he wants. But here's the great irony. Jacob actually has every reason to not be afraid. I mean, think about this, right? Jacob's the guy who had a personal encounter with the Lord. And when he had that personal encounter with the Lord, God promised him, for the rest of your life, I'm going to protect you. He even had that rock of remembrance which told him if he ever forgot, God is with you and God will watch over you. You see, Jacob has every reason to not be afraid and yet he is. And the truth is, as Christians, we have an even greater reason to not be afraid. I mean, we have something better than a rock of remembrance. We have the cross of Christ. And yet, if you're anything like me, Though I might have every reason in my life to not be afraid, though I might have the cross of Christ, and though I might have His Spirit in my heart, and though I might have all of His promises to assure me of His protection, so often I live in fear. And if that's you, which I suspect it is for all of us in some way, God wants us to realize today the far greater protection that you have in Jesus He wants you to realize that you have everything you ever need to never deeply, truly be afraid. And I want to show you that greater protection that all of us have in Jesus. First of all, we all have a miraculous protection, a miraculous protection. Look with me at chapter 30, verse 25. It's that section, that first section that Sam read for us. You probably got to the end of it and wondered, what is going on? Let me help you see. Jacob's been far from home for 14 long years. He's been a slave to Laban, exploited by his uncle at every possible turn. And now Jacob wants to go home. And Laban says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. You shall not part. You're too valuable for me to lose. So, So Jacob, he comes up with a proposal. And it's a proposal which if his uncle agrees to, Jacob says, I'll continue to work for you. But it's weird. It's strange. It doesn't make sense. But it's a proposal that will show us God's miraculous protection. Let me show you what he suggests, right? Okay. Laban has a flock of sheep. 
and there's two types of sheep in it. Those that are pure and those that are coloured. And Jacob tells his uncle, give me your coloured flock, let them be my wages. And if you find among my flock any of your pure sheep, you'll know clearly that I've stolen them from you. But this group, this coloured flock, they're mine and that can be yours. So Laban goes, plan sounds good. Because after all, these pure sheep, they're far more valuable than your coloured ones, aren't they? So what does Laban do? He takes all those coloured sheep, he sets them aside as Jacob's wages, and then he puts them under lock and key. Far away from Jacob, under his own guard, there's no way that these coloured flocks will ever become more valuable or numerous than Laban's pure sheep. Or so he thinks. Because Jacob does something very strange. He, he takes branches of wood, peels back the bark, and exposes a coloured branch that looks a lot like his coloured sheep. And so when Laban's pure, pure flock breed in front of these coloured branches, somehow, in some way, they end up bearing coloured sheep, just like the branch and just like Jacob's flock. Now, that doesn't make any sense, right? If they're pure sheep, they should be breeding pure flock. But instead, they're giving birth to colored sheep. And whenever the pure, whenever the weak pure flock they're breeding, Jacob does nothing, lets them die off in one sense. And those sheep then belong to Laban. But the strong sheep, no, they belong to Jacob. And by the end of this game, Jacob has all these colored sheep, half of which are born by these pure flock over here. And Laban has nothing. So you're sitting there going, cool story, no idea why that even matters. Why would Jacob do something as strange as that? I think it's because he wants his uncle to see that I don't protect myself. God alone is the one who protects me. I mean, because who else could perform a miracle so great? Who else could turn pure sheep into colored sheep? In fact, if I were Jacob, I would feel a bit stupid, wouldn't I? Because this, this just feels ridiculous. There is no way that this could ever scientifically happen. Some people read this passage and they go, oh, you know, it's about dominant and recessive genes and things that I learned in year 10 biology that I can't remember. Maybe these branches are kind of like aphrodisiac, you know, mandrakes for sheep. I just don't, I just, the whole point is that it's so ridiculous. It's so miraculous. God provides a miraculous protection. There's no way in the world this could ever happen by our own strength. It's a protection that bends the rules of nature. It's a protection that's supernatural. And when you think about it, is that not the protection that God has actually given to us in his son, Jesus? The whole thing of the gospel is a miracle. The miracle of the incarnation as, as the son of God becomes man. That the miracle of the atonement as God dies on the cross and defeats the powers of sin and death. Gosh, the miracle of the resurrection as God defeats death by raising Jesus from the grave. The miracle of the ascension as God reigns on high and protects us now by the Spirit of His Son. If you think that that protection of turning pure sheep into colored sheep was ridiculous and miraculous. Can I tell you, the gospel is so much more. Do we not have a more miraculous protection in Jesus? But I want you to see we also have a promised protection, a promised protection. Uh, in two weeks' time, it's going to be a big week of the year. 
You may be thinking, is it Christmas? Not yet. In two weeks' time, is Ben, is ben Yong here? Sam's not. Anyway, Ben Yong and Sam Shu will be getting married to um, Jess and Chloe. Not to each other, but Jess and Chloe. Two weddings, one week, big week, right? And, and this is what they're going to say. Ben and Sam are going to make this promise to Jess and Chloe. I, Benjamin Sun Wei Yong, or Sam Shu, in the presence of my God, take you, Jessica Nadia, or Chloe Tio, to be my wife. Now, I don't know, if I've, if I've officiated your wedding before, you should remember this, because I ask you guys to remember it, right? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to protect, as long as we both shall live. Did you get that? To love and to protect. Ben and Sam are going to promise to exercise their God-given authority as husbands to protect their wives in love. And here's the best part. Jess and Chloe should be able to trust and rely on that promise every day of their life. They should be able to go, wow, Ben and Sam are going to... Pro- ben will protect Jess and you know what I mean, right? Like, and so it should be for us. Because that's what God promised Jacob, and it's what he's promised us as well. God is it's in this moment, he comes to us and says, I promise to love and protect you as long as we both shall live, which is forever. Notice what happens in chapter 31. Laban notices that Jacob is getting very rich and he is getting very poor. Jacob sees that his uncle is not happy. And again, he has every reason to be afraid. But into his fear, what does God say in verse 3? Go back to the land of your ancestors and to your family, and here it is, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the promise that God made back at Bethel. Chapter 28, verse 15, look, I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. And now 14 years later, In those words, I will be with you. It's as if God is pointing back to that promise. It's as if he's saying, hey, don't forget my promise. I'm still keeping my promise. In fact, I've been keeping it all along. It's why Jacob says to Leah and Rachel in verses 4 to 13, for all the years I served your father, For all the times he's cheated me, God never forgot me. God never stopped protecting me. Verse 7, God has not let him harm me. God was the one who miraculously changed those pure into colored sheep. God was the one who gave me your father's flocks. God was the one who in verse 12 saw what Laban was doing to me and protected my life every step of the way. It's actually quite beautiful. Look at what God says in verse 12. I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I have seen all that he's been doing to you. I'm pretty sure that in those 14 years, Jacob didn't feel like God was seeing his suffering. But he was. I'm pretty sure that in those 14 years, Jacob didn't feel that God was protecting him. But he was. Because 14 years ago, at a place called Bethel, God made a promise. 
I will love and protect you as long as you shall live. Hence God says in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you poured oil on the stone marker, that rock of remembrance, and made a solemn vow to me. Those of you uh, who have been married for uh, more than a few years would know that as, as, as wonderful as that wedding day is, life is hard. And marriage even loses its shine. But I want you to imagine 14 years from the 15th of December. Ben takes Jess's hand. He looks into her eyes and he goes, Hey, I made you a promise, remember? I promised to love and protect you. Do you remember? It was was on the 15th of December, 2023. Glen Waverley Uniting Church. I even gave you a very expensive rock as a sign and seal of my promise. Look at it. I'll protect you. Trust me. That's what God is saying to Jacob. Hey, I made you a promise, remember? I promised to love and protect you. It was 14 years ago at a place called Bethel. I even gave you A massive rock as a sign and a seal of my promise. I'll protect you. Trust me. Guess what Jesus says to us? Hey, I made you a promise, remember? I promised to love and protect you. It was in AD 33 at a place called Golgotha. I even gave you a cross as a sign and seal of my love. I'll protect you. I promise. Trust me. You see, friends, the cross is the ultimate guarantee of God's promise to protect us. Because it's at the cross that Jesus protected us from God's wrath by by shielding us and bearing it all on himself. Friends, we can find ultimate safety in the shadow of the cross. We don't have to doubt or fear that God might not protect us. No, we know that he has and we know that he will. Because at the cross, he didn't just make the promise. At the cross, he kept that promise in the death of his son. The cross is the greatest rock of remembrance, the ultimate wedding ring, the perfect sign that Jesus will love and protect us forever. You might never have someone make that promise to you in marriage. But you have something far greater. You have a God who has made that promise to you in the gospel. We have a promised protection. But I want you to see we also have an undeserved protection. You see, Jacob's faithfulness, right, it's short-lived. Let's look at verses 22 to 35. What does he do? He reverts back to his old self. That same old Jacob. Verse 20, Jacob, there's the big word of the series, deceived Laban, the Aramean. But it's not just him. Let's look at what Rachel does in verse 19. She steals her father's idols. And those two sins of deception and idolatry run right throughout this section. Verses 22 to 24, God appears to Laban. He warns him, don't say anything to Jacob, good or bad. And he doesn't. 
But in verse 26, Laban highlights Jacob's sin not once but twice. That word deception, deceived, is used twice. And he accuses Jacob of stealing his idols. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. This passage refers to those idols. And you wonder, wow, what what a beautiful promise protection. If someone looked at me that way and took my hands and said, I promise to love and protect you as long as we both shall live. I'll be like, yes, I can trust that. But Jacob doesn't. He doesn't. And you're like, why wouldn't he do it? God has just provided a miraculous and promised protection. Surely if they saw everything that God has done, Jacob and Rachel will never feel the need to deceive or the temptation of idolatry. So why? Well, I think we know why. It's because they were afraid. Verse 31, Jacob answered, I was afraid. Very clear. For I thought you'd take your daughters from me by force. You see, friends, if we are not careful, fear will lead to faithlessness. And faithlessness will lead to idolatry. And idolatry will lead to death. And it starts with fear. I want you to imagine, some of you might not need to imagine this, but imagine being married for at least 14 years. And at every point in your marriage, your husband or your wife, your spouse is constantly afraid that you will leave them. It's actually quite hurtful, isn't it? Because it means that your spouse doesn't trust you. It means they don't trust the promise that you made to them 14 years ago. And it's very painful to say, but I, I wonder if that's why some, if not many, people are unfaithful to their spouses because we stop believing the vows that they once made. And so we look for love in someone or something else. I think that's what Jacob and Rachel are doing to God. They just don't believe the promise once made to them, so they look for protection in someone else, in the idols of their father. Jacob doesn't deserve this miraculous or promised protection, and yet somehow God continues to give it all the same. In some strange way, God even protects us from our own fear. And you sort of think to yourself, what a gracious protection. What a merciful protection. What an undeserved protection. And is that not the protection that all of us have in the gospel? Has God not given us a protection so gracious, so merciful, so undeserved? Are we not ruled by fear just like Jacob? Do we not smuggle in the idols of our past just like Rachel? Do we not constantly take out an insurance policy against God? Sign a prenup before marrying him? Cross our fingers at the altar? Do we not allow our fear to lead to our faithlessness and our faithlessness to lead to idolatry? Are we not afraid that God will not protect me? And so I just have to find safety in something or someone else. Do we not deserve God's punishment instead of protection? And yet Jesus protected us all the same. It's as if he now appears before the Father in heaven and says on our behalf, don't speak a word of judgment on Adam. Speak it on me instead. You think to yourself, what a gracious protection. What a merciful protection. 
What an undeserved protection. You know, it was enough for me to realize that when I first became a Christian. To realize my, the depth of my sin and the extent of God's grace and to go, wow, how could I not trust him? But I thought that that's where it stopped. But the longer I'm a Christian, I realize, oh gosh, I'm still just as faithless, still just as fearful, still just as sinful as I ever was. It was a miracle enough that God would actually want to protect me then. It's just as much of a miracle that he'll want to protect me now. What an undeserved protection. But finally, I want you to see what a steadfast protection it is. See, in verses 36 to 42, Jacob, he hits back at his uncle after 20 years. He highlights the sheer length of time he's suffered under his uncle's exploitation. Look at verse 41. You can feel the kind of bitterness and, and seething anger here. For 20 years in your household I served you. 14 for your two daughters. Six years for your flocks. And you've changed my wages 10 times. Imagine, just imagine how Jacob must have felt through all those years of suffering. Imagine that sense of being trapped with nowhere to go, nowhere to run. Imagine the thought that surely must have entered his mind at more than once over those 5,000 days. Where are you, God? Why won't you protect me? Why won't you help me? And yet... In verse 42, Jacob speaks these beautiful words. And I think verse 42 is the heart of today's passage. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work, and he issued his verdict last night. Do you see? He refers back to the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. He's saying, right from before even I was born, God was protecting me. God had protected me from eternity past. God has protected me through it all. And God will protect me to the very end. That's why in these final verses, Laban makes a covenant with Jacob. He sets up this mound as, as a witness between them. But I want you to see the purpose of this covenant. It's there in verse 52. It's to protect Laban from Jacob. You will not pass beyond this mound and this marker to do me harm. You can hear what Laban is saying. I can see how powerful your God is. I can see how he's protected you. So please, here's this marker. Here's the red line. Please do not pass. God's protection over Jacob is so steadfast that it will be as long as he shall live. And so too is God's protection over us. It began from before time began. It carries us through the longest seasons of suffering. And it will last into eternity and beyond. Ephesians 1 says that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. And he seals us with the Holy Spirit all the way to the end. Friends, there is not one moment of your life that is not under the sovereign protection of God. In Jesus, we have a miraculous protection. We have a promised protection. We have an undeserved protection. 
and we have an eternal protection as well. I want to end our time this morning by reflecting on two types of fear. Two types of fear this passage highlights. Firstly, the fear of Isaac. The fear of Isaac. If you were in a bill, if you're in a BLT, this would be the ultimate discussion. No one seems to know what it is. It's that phrase right there in chapter 31, verse 42. And it's only found once in the entire Bible. Great. Can't search Bible Gateway Online and Control F. Not going to help you. What does it mean? Well, what type of fear are we talking about? Is it fear as in reverence and worship, or is it fear as in terror? And why is it the fear of Isaac when this whole thing is talking about Jacob? Let me offer. Firstly, the fear of Isaac is a name for God. He's the God of Abraham, the fear or God of Isaac. And every time we talk about Isaac, we're talking about God's promise to him, the promise that Jacob stole from him. You see, we're saying this is a God of the promise that he made to Isaac. Piece number one. Piece number two, the word fear is not the word that we find the fear or the worship of the Lord. It's not Yira Adonai. It's not I fear or worship God. It's not that sort of fear. It's the trembling, terror, terrified, horrified fear. It's Pachad Itzach, the terror of Isaac. So why? What's he saying? Why is God the fear, the terror of Isaac? It's because he is the one who makes the nations tremble on account of his promise to Isaac. The whole world sees God's promise to Isaac, and it sees God's protection of Jacob, and it quakes in its boots, and it trembles in fear. Pardon the low-key blasphemous illustration. It's a bit like wielding a weapon that makes our enemies scared. It's the fear that Zeus felt when Gore wielded the necrosword. The fear that the wizarding world when Voldemort finally secured the Elder Wand. The fear that Thanos' armies felt when Thor arrived on the battlefield with Stormbreaker. But God is not a weapon that we wield and we fight with it. He is a warrior who stands and fights for us. And he strikes the fear of God into the hearts of men. Friends, is Jesus not the true fear of Isaac? When, when, when Jesus came into this world, did he not make the evil spirits tremble and the demons flee in fear? In his death, did not Jesus bind the strong man and destroy the one who holds the power of death? Is he not the living God who conquered the world, the flesh, and the devil? Is Jesus not the mighty one who broke the chains of sin and death and extinguished the attacks of the devil? Is he not the almighty God who disarmed the rulers and authorities of our world? Did Jesus not harrow the gates of hell, dispel the forces of darkness, eliminate the enemy of evil? And is Jesus not the God who will one day come in judgment and before whom the kings of our world will bow in worship or cry out for the rocks to hide them on the day of his wrath? Is Jesus not the ultimate divine warrior who stands and fights for us? Is Jesus not the one who strikes the fear of God into the hearts of men? Friends, is there anyone stronger than he? Yes, we have many reasons to be afraid in this life. 
Fears of the world that attack us. Fears of the flesh that tempt us. Fears of the devil who accuses us. But we have the one reason, the one greater reason to never be afraid because we have Jesus, the true fear of Isaac. I mean, what's the worst this world could do? It could only kill us. But Jesus has defeated death. Friends, if we have the fear of Isaac, what else do we need to fear? But we do. I do. I'm still so afraid. Because though we have the fear of Isaac, so often I find my heart gripped by the fear of idols. Now, I don't mean that I'm afraid of idols. No, I have a fear that drives me towards idols. Just like Rachel, I smuggle in the idols of my past into the kingdom of my God. I follow Jesus on the outside, but let's face it, so many of us hide those secret sins that make us feel safe on the inside. We come to church every week. We may even lift our hands above waist height in praise. And yet on the inside... We are gripped by an idolatry of work that makes us feel significant. An idolatry of comfort that makes us feel complete. An idolatry of romance that makes us feel loved. And we just can't imagine life without those same old sins, can we? The idols of our past are like that toxic relationship that we know is killing us, but we just can't leave. Here's my guess. From my life, from your lives, but also from this passage, I suspect that our idolatry is actually fueled by fear. But not just any fear. I think it's fueled by a fear of the future. Think about this, right? It was just two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, that when we were looking at Jacob, Jacob was a young man. He was deceiving his father. He was fleeing his brother. But today, fast forward just two weeks in our time, Jacob's an old man and is looking back on his life. And it's almost as if you meet with an old person, older person, sitting in a rocking chair, and they wistfully reflect on life. And you're like, I, I, I quote Peter Adam a lot, and he says, I'm now at that point in conferences where I keep getting asked, how did you do it? How did you survive your entire life as a Christian? And his answer is, keep breathing. It's uh, probably not very helpful. Um, but you ask, you ask Peter, or you ask, I suspect, Jacob, and this is what they would say as they sit on their rocking chair reflecting on life. My life has been so, so hard. But my God has been so, so good. I think that's what he'd say. I mean, maybe if you're in your later years of life, you could look back on life and say the same thing. You might look back on life and go, wow, gosh, it's been hard. With all of its challenges. But God has been unfailingly kind and he has protected me every step of the way. I hope you can say that. I hope I'll be able to say that. And if you're younger like I am, well, let's hear the reflections now of an older Jacob who tells all of us this. You may live a life of prolonged suffering and chronic pain. In God's mysterious sovereignty, it is appointed for some of us to live a very hard life. But through the longer seasons of suffering, 
through a lifetime of pain. God wants us to know this. I will protect you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. You see, many of us live in fear of our future. A number of people that I talk to who ask this question, where will I be in 20 years? Will everyone else have moved on in life without me? Who will look after me when I'm old and in need? But some of us don't live in fear for ourselves. We live in fear for the future of those we love. Could be our kids, our friends, our parents, and we wonder, gosh, who's going to look after them when they're old? Who's going to protect them when I'm gone? And in the face of such fear, it is all too easy to smuggle in the idols of our past. To not trust God to look after us. Or maybe even harder, to not trust God to look after those we love. But can you see that for all the reasons we might have for fear, we have the one reason to never be truly afraid. We have Jesus. The true fear of Isaac. The warrior who fights for us. The God who protects his people. We have the God who can care for us better than we can care for ourselves. We have the God who can protect those we love better and longer than we can protect them ourselves. So do not be afraid, not of the future, either for yourself or for those you love. Friends, in Jesus we have a miraculous protection. We have a promised protection. We have an undeserved protection, and we have a steadfast and eternal protection because we have Jesus, the true fear of Isaac. Don't be afraid. Can I pray? God, we know that our lives are so often gripped by fear. We know that so often when the crunch is on and it feels like you're absent for 20 long years, why would we keep holding on to you when it feels like that you've forgotten us? But remind us, God, that you don't forget us. You've never forgotten us. You made us a promise at the cross, just like you made a promise to Jacob at Bethel. So help us look back on that promise and hear your words, hey, remember I promise to protect you. I made that promise at the cross. Trust me. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.